I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome back to What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. I'm here with The Ringer's very own Chelsea Stark-Jones. And today we're finally talking about Sex and the City, the Sex and the City franchise, especially the highly talked about series and just like that. How did you feel when you first found out that you were going to talk about this franchise? Okay, so excited, but it's really weird how much I I hate watch the show. It's same. It's, it's so bizarre, but I love talking about it, even though I don't love. Like, actually, I do love watching it. The new episode came out. I can't wait to go home and watch it this evening. But not because I. I it's comforting, and for some weird reason, even though it's it's so far from what it used to be. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about that because the only word I could think of is cringe. Uh, yes. And I feel like season two gets is more cringe than season one, which I did not know was possible. But let's first talk about the iconic Sex and the City series. It's pretty much like turn of the century type of series. It was like it ran through late 90s, early 2000s. What do you think made it so culturally significant? Well, I think it was so culturally significant because you had these four dynamic and fashionable women talking so vulgar and about sex. And that was not <laughs> something that was really done at the time. And it was, you know, revolutionary in that way where they're all career driven. They all have their own things going for them. And they're trying to navigate the city of New York. And we hear all their sex stories and we see their sex stories mm -hmm. and it's exciting and it's fun. So it was definitely something that was new for the time. And as it was coming out, I'll, I'll admit, I'll age myself, I guess, in a positive way. Like, I wasn't watching it. So I got to catch all the reruns and see it in that regard as I was a, in my teenage and college years. So it was 
it was exciting for me as a young girl to see it and to aspire in some ways to that lifestyle of fabulousness and and great sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, For me, I think that was the first one of the few shows that featured a all women's friend group on TV that felt realistic. So I think that that was pretty significant, significant for me, especially as someone that doesn't have like all women friend groups. I have like more like one-on-one or two-on-one friendships that are very like strong and intimate, probably because I'm a little bit introverted. So I kind of lean towards those type of friendships. So it was nice and refreshing to see this representation of a women's friend group. How much of that, of seeing this type of friendship among women impact how you saw friendships among women? Well, I think it's interesting that you say most of your friendships are like one-on-one or two-on-one type of dynamics because I relate to that completely. Um, I'm getting married in it as I'm planning my wedding. And I was in a sorority too. So I, I would think mm. I would have like yeah. more of a girl gang type thing. But a lot of my friendships are that one-on-one, two-on-one dynamic. And so I don't, and they are a small girl gang. It's only four of them. But I think it 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 showed me and it gave me an importance to having that type of tribe. And there's like a good thing about it and a bad thing about it where you, like you feel pressured, like, oh my God, I have to have a group of friends. Where I think having these like solo one-on-one friendships are just as beautiful as having the dynamics of like a three plus friend group. Um, but I mean... I, I I love going to brunch with my girls and sitting around and talking. Like, and <laughs> yeah. that's what I did with my bridesmaids. Like, not all of them know each other. And that's mm. kind of what we're seeing in, in this new uh, era of Sex in the City. And, and just like that, where it's, we're seeing them bring in new friends. And especially with Miranda and California, these first few episodes, them getting together and like trying to get to know each other in that way is kind of fun. And it's beautiful, especially um, them being women of a certain age having starting new friendships all over is is fun to watch in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that you, you know, kind of pointed out that what's important also is the dynamics within this friend group, because I feel like you and I can relate to that, like the more intimate one-on-one, because you do see that they all have different types of friendships. And it makes me think of shows like Girlfriends or Living Single, where like they have these individual friendships that are as important as a friend group. So it doesn't make you feel entirely left out, but it does also show you what could be as far as like this other type of friendship. But yeah, let's let's just get into it just like that because <laughs> there's a lot there. As like a day one fan, or at least when you did start watching Sex and the City, how, what was your first reaction when you watched the first, uh, we'll just say the first season, let's not even get specific, the first season of And Just Like That, what were your first feelings that popped up? What did they do to my favorite girls? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? And make it make sense. Like, I don't know. It just, and I think it's like that beautiful thing with some of these shows where we're sad to see it end, but we were able to kind of make up our own ending for them and like let that ending live in our heads. And what they did with them just like that is they took what we thought their their endings would be and flipped it on its heads and didn't make it any better. They just did it just to fuck with us. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> and so it's it's kind of hard to watch. My biggest one is Miranda because she has strayed so far from what I thought or who I thought she was, being the strong, independent, career-driven woman 
And now, and we're even seeing it more so in season two, being this like puppy dog to in, in the relationship and submissive and being everything that we thought she wasn't. And and I understand being of a certain age and changing and and wanting something new and different in your life, but we're losing so much of who she is at the at her core. And it's making it really unbearable to watch. And I feel like she's the biggest difference as far as the main characters go. I mean, Carrie is still Carrie and self-centered and into herself. Charlotte is still prim and proper and, you know, high society and stuff like that. But with Miranda, I think that one's the hardest to really kind of gravitate to or like understand because that's just, and and we rooted for her and Steve. Like, we rooted. We were on that bridge with you yes. both. <laughs> and so for it to, like, end that way. And I think what, what kept me watching, specifically season one, was because I was like, there, she's going to change her mind. She's going to realize this isn't for her. And she's going to change her mind. And you we didn't so get wrong. that. <laughs> we were so wrong. She so leaned wrong. more into that storyline. Yeah. Heavily. I mean, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, like I said, even before we started taping is I had this weird Walking Dead slash uh, and just like that dream. And Miranda yeah. popped up in my dream as a zombie. Be- and I think it's because of this that she... I don't believe her. Like, I don't believe who she is in these two seasons. And... You know, at first I was like, you know, this, when I first started watching it, I was like, this is cringy. I can't figure out why this doesn't make sense. What's going on? And then I think it clicked at the end of season one, more so season two, where I'm like, I think more so there are other things going on, but I think it's the Miranda narrative that I think makes me feel uncomfortable because of how you said far away they strayed from who she was for millions of years on Sex and the City. It's interesting because season one to me had more, I think, authentic moments and had a lot more like also one-on-one moments between old and new friends. And it felt real. And I appreciated that. But it still felt very anecdotal or like educational where like all these little storylines would pop up, but they would pop up because they needed to cross off a list of things that people were talking about socially and culturally versus like, does this make sense at this time in this season. And I think that was what really bugged me because a lot of what they did cover is important, but it still didn't fit naturally. It felt almost like formulaic. I 100% agree with you. And I think that it almost felt a bit of an overcorrection from the original Sex in the City to And Just Like That, where they realized we had not one person of color on our cast. We were not diverse. We were not talking about what's going on socially whatsoever. So like, let's really do it. And they did it in a way that just felt like performative. And like you said, like checking a box and making sure we had every diversity hire, we're doing all of this. And, And I think that's why it feels so cringe because when we have these conversations in our everyday lives with our friends, like it's, it comes up organically. It comes up like, and these are just like super forced situations that we're seeing the women enter into and, and and not having genuine discussions around it. And so it's, it's really, really hard. Like as much as I appreciate the effort, the execution is not, is not meeting. And, and so that's, I think where there's such a disconnect and where we're hearing, seeing cringe 
where it does feel like, okay, we got our older black woman. We got <laughs> we got an Indian woman. We a brown have woman, yes. A, a non-binary character. Okay, now let's make sure we have this. And like and it and it feels forced. And you can yeah. see and, and we're smart enough. Like that we're we're smart enough viewers to understand that. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because what they do cover though is important. They are conversations that we're all having, but they're not in 20 minutes or less and like just at a restaurant table like it just feels so rushed and like you said performative and forced and the first thing I thought of when I was uh thinking about this episode was this tweet of someone saying that every one of the actresses from Sex and the City got their own emotional support woman of color (laughs) and I like shout out to whoever tweeted that but like that is what I feel like happened like they all got this other extra buddy that coincidentally is a woman of color in season two or as season one progresses, you do see why they team up these women to have their own individual friendships, especially with, with Charlotte and her new friend of like, that makes sense, right? Like they have kids, so they have other things in common. You're bringing in new friends to the friend group. That's all realistic. But yeah, again, it does feel forced. It feels so forced. And I actually, I do, Lisa is maybe my favorite new character. Mm -hmm. I know everyone loves Seema, but (laughs) I love Lisa. And I think she, and I love her because she's a dynamic character. She's a married woman. She has multiple kids. She has a husband. She's very strong in her, her relationship and her career. And we're seeing that more so in season two, which I'm enjoying. I, I don't understand Dr. Naya which again, leaning into the cringe factor of of when Miranda meets her in season one, and, and she, there's no way she's a professor because uh, she has braids, and yeah, and then she's like this white lady trying to overcorrect herself and ask her forget. It was just so cringy, and it's hard to kind of understand her purpose in the show, Doctor Naya, in season two with Miranda being in California, like. It it didn't it felt it felt weird and I know she's back in New York now but yeah it's and Seema is the obviously the um, Samantha of the group the new Samantha now that you know so it's it's yeah they are their women of color emotional support friends <laughs> <laughs> I just I I appreciate that they try to build out a storyline for every single one of them so they aren't entirely there for the. Just to be dumped on emotionally, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, so their friend is not the only one here self-centered, but it's still not giving enough for me to feel like these characters should be looked at on their own. You know what I mean? Like, it's still tied to whatever white woman friend that they're connected to. And like you said, maybe it is like a correction from Sex and the City where there wasn't much diversity in the cast. It's one of those things where... It's just everything all at once, I guess, where as opposed they could like spread it out throughout the season or throughout the series. And so maybe they were like, maybe we only have one season of this. So let's put every <laughs> diverse issue in the season. What is everyone and it, talking about Twitter? Let's cover that yeah. all right now. And yeah. Let's put it all in these first eight, 10 episodes. And so it really just felt like you're being like hit in the head with these types of things. And like, you know, we're both two women of color. So like we've lived and experienced life in this way. And so as much as we appreciate seeing it, we want to see it 
organically and and real. Like, and and I've had plenty of conversations with my white friends about it. It never sounds like what we're watching on and just like that like, ever. <laughs> yeah, so no. it, it it makes me wonder like who's in these writing rooms because I think that's the biggest issue around this new reboot is more so the writing. Like I love the casting. I I think all the women are beautiful. They're, yeah. I love the fashion. I like what they're looking at. I like where they're shooting in New York. Like all of that stuff. And I think maybe that's what it is. It's just like aesthetically pleasing and that's why I keep watching it. But the writing is the worst part of it and it it's the main it's the main reason for the cringe factor is how things are written. Yeah. I mean we both have like alluded to the fact that what makes us the cringe more or most out of everything is Miranda. And yes. at first I thought it was going to be Miranda and Che, right? Like or, or like this relationship that was going to be cringy. But it's Miranda where it's just like like you said and we talked about she strays so far away from her character of Sex in the City. And like you said, she's kind of like this puppy dog that she's kind of chasing Che after. And it goes against, I think, literally everything that she told the other ladies in Sex and the City to not do when it comes to dating. Even just her performing these scenes, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm getting secondhand embarrassment just watching yes. this. <laughs> like, yes, the trying to figure out the strap on. And the, oh. but, but I will also say, Che is also. I don't want to say cringe, but I just feel like not a good partner to Miranda. And and I think part of this is intertwined of like Miranda's become so submissive that she's allowing herself to be mistreated in some instances. For example, in season two, how Che reacted to Brady. And like, I get Miranda should have put her phone on silence. Like again, another time they made Miranda look like the fumbling fool. But this is a woman that you're entering a relationship with that has a child and her child is always going to come first. And so for you to kind of be an asshole with her when her child's having an emergency just really upset me. And then che, next episode, Che's in New York and it gets glossed over. Like we didn't hear a resolution to Che, like, I'm sorry that Brady had such a bad time or whatever. Like I kind of was a little bit thrown by that. And I feel like I kind of thought when she left LA, like the relationship was going to be over. So to see that it's not, and like they're about to have a threesome with Nicole or um, who is a, a Kate Hudson's brother, I was like, whoa, <laughs> wasn't yeah. expecting this one either. <laughs> I also didn't think that this relationship was going to last. I hope it doesn't last because it just makes no sense to me and it's just cringy, but yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence.
you know, I also was thinking while I was watching this, like maybe this isn't my demographic anymore. <laughs> Not that it was my demographic, I guess, for Sex in the City, because I was, I think, also in my teens and maybe early 20s. Uh, because, you know, these conversations that they're having, I do think that they're all real conversations that women are having in real life. And some of them I can connect and some I can't. So I'm just like, maybe this isn't the show that's meant for me and that's okay. I don't know if you thought of that. Not in that way. I think maybe one of the reasons why I find it interesting is because eventually I will be that demographic. And so hearing how they navigate those types of topics with their husbands and their friends and their children and stuff like that, especially, as I said, Lisa, like I think she's one of my favorite characters because she is so career-driven and she has a beautiful family. Her husband is also career-driven and how she's balancing that while still being a mother. And I think it was in season, this in season two when like her husband's like, I'll just give you the money. And she's, he said it in front of their daughter. And like, I liked that. She was like, no, you're not going to give me money. I could do this myself. And like trying to teach her daughter a lesson in that moment of you don't need someone to hand you things. Like you're fully capable of doing it yourself. So like, even though I'm not in that situation currently, like I, I feel like I'm learning lessons that might be beneficial to me later on in my life. So, and I always, I always find like older women shows appealing to me. Like when I was watching (laughs) Girlfriends, like I was nowhere near. I was going to say that makes sense because we were watching shows where the women that were portrayed in the show were older than what we were. So I guess that does make sense. I think I was just trying to find reason behind the cringe and to not feel cringe, (laughs) to be honest. I was just like, I want to get this. But I think that Again, it's the fact that it's so like anecdotal and formulaic and it's all kind of packed into one. And I do actually want to know these new characters. And thinking of that, I think one of the things I did love about and just like that was this group of women still being very intact, excluding Samantha, which we'll talk about, um, Mm -hmm. and introducing and welcoming other women into the friend group and then also being able to have again like their own friend group and it being special but then also these women also have their individual friend groups with women that make sense in what part in their lives they're in so again we talked about like lisa and charlotte like they have kids like they have a more similar lifestyle than we say like Carrie and Charlotte. How do you feel about kind of the introduction and also like the coming together of all these new friendships? Yeah, I think some of them work and I th- I think most of them work. I I do believe that Lisa and Charlotte like they make complete sense like making friends as a mom. I watch um Working Moms on Netflix and I like those like mom friendship dynamics that you get there and like you're kind of seeing that here with Charlotte and Lisa. I think Seema and Carrie work. Again, Seema is seemingly Samantha 2.0 is what they were trying to do there. And she does have that brassness about her that Samantha had. And she's fashionable and she's interesting. The biggest one for me that feels like a little bit misplaced is Dr. Naya. And and I think they did her a disservice by having Miranda be in LA for the first several episodes of season two, because we're seeing a lot of Naya's scenes by herself. And she is being really used as an emotional dumping bag to, to uh, Miranda, because every time they're on the phone, it's Miranda telling her her issues with Che or what's going on in LA and stuff like that. So she's the one, the character that I think as a new addition 
to the friend group is the least organic. The brunch that they had when Lisa interviewed Dr. Naya and she like had a crush on the sound guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And oh, they went yeah. to brunch after that. Like that was cute. And that was nice to see her, Dr. Naya, in a group setting because up until that point, we had only seen her in solo scenes or on the phone with Miranda. And those didn't serve her well. You know what? I like that scene with Dr. Naya and Lisa because I also didn't want these women to just be seen with women that are white or friends that are white. Like I wanted the brown and black women to also get together and have their own friendships or their own dynamics or at least engage with one another. And I like that these friendships can exist all at once. You could have your closest friend with you, but you could also meet this new friend as an adult and be really close to them. So I really do appreciate that. I don't know if that, like you can relate to that in in your real life as far as like the type of friends that you have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely people, and it's funny, it's like I'm, I mentioned I'm planning my wedding. So it's like going through my guest list. And so it's like going through your Rolodex of friends. And in some (laughs) ways it is, it's like, it's evaluating certain friendships and like Mm. how, how close am I am to this friend and like stuff like that. And, and I do have, I could probably count on just two hands, how many close friends I I really have. Um, And I think that's important. Like, I don't know. And, and again, all of these are like one-on-one or two-on-one type of friendships. And I think as you get older, like I have cousins and I have a younger brother, they're in their like age range, 17 to 21. So they're going through life and they have their big group of friends from high school and they're transitioning to college and like having these conversations with them of like, as you get older, you have friendship breakups, you grow apart. Like, and so, you know, now I feel like I'm at the point where I'm going to have these friends and well into my, and just like that years. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think you like learn that though, as you get older, cause, and you know, I, friendship breakups are just as hard as actual breakups. And, and we're seeing, and I kind of wish they did that with Samantha, honestly, instead of making her this like friend in the distant feet past or whatever, like yeah. it would have been more realistic if, if we did have a friendship breakup. And they kind of did say like, Last season one, they they weren't really talking or whatever. Like, it, and that was interesting. Like, that was interesting, and it was also kind of genuine to you know what we know of uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall, like not being real friends. Like, kind of played into that. And like now that we're gonna have some faux scene with Samantha, apparently at some point this season, it feels it feels forced. And I would have rather it would have been more genuine to actually like continued on with that friendship breakup. Yeah. Because typically, because they are sometimes a little bit more one-sided, like it hits one friend a little bit more than the other. And it would have been interesting to see Carrie's spiral, I guess, in some ways, um, since we wouldn't have been able to see Samantha's. Yeah. I'm interested on how that plays out, knowing that Kim does come back as Samantha, right? But she's only shooting scenes by her, like without the other women. Such a Um, boss move. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I'll come back to your silly show, but I'm not shooting with anybody. I'm not going to be near you. I know. So, I mean, let's hit, let's talk about Samantha. Or maybe we're talking about Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim. I'm not sure which one we're really talking about, but... <laughs> Mesh together. I know. One of... I mean, they were one of my favorite friendships in Sex and the City, right? Like Carrie and Samantha. They're dynamic. Um, I think the more I saw and just like that, I realized how much Samantha took care of Carrie and Sex in the City. And I feel like I knew that, but I think having her gone and even those little like 
random text message that they send each other. Uh, I felt that more, but it's interesting of how Carrie still tries and nudge Samantha on the show by being like, I miss you. And then she's left on red Um, or like, (laughs) you know, they say they're going to meet for drinks while she's in Paris, but we don't see that. Right. Like she's like nudging and nudging and it feels a little similar to real life. How do you feel about, well, one, how do you feel about how they pretty much did like that character dirty and just like that by not kind of developing that a little bit more, at least for season one, we still don't know what happens end of season two. Yeah, it's rough because I really feel Samantha from Sex and the City to now is probably everyone's overall like number one, if not number two favorite of the cast. Everyone wants a little bit of Samantha in them, um, whether you want to be full force like out yeah. there or just like a little On the tablespoon low. of sugar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But everyone wants a little bit of Samantha in her. So to not have her back and and who knows what the drama is off camera. Like, for some reason, I feel like I'm team Kim Cattrall. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So with the Kim Cattrall, from what I've read, right, there's there was a, what started somewhat of a feud, if we want to call it a feud, was she was kind of talking with producer about her salary and wanting more. And so apparently the show ended when it did because Kim felt that there was no effort to address those like pay discrepancies. And she, I believe she said on this Jonathan Ross show after the show ended in like 2004, we have her quoted, like, I felt after six years, it was time for all of us to participate in the financial windfall of sex in the city. When they didn't seem keen on that, I thought it was time to move on. So that is probably the main thing that gets brought up is this pay discrepancies. But there also are these rumors that Sarah Jessica Parker did not treat Kim right on set. I mean, and we also, that Instagram post that Kim posted being like, we're not friends, don't act like we're friends. And I think that's (laughs) when all hell broke loose and we're like, oh, this shit is real. Like there is something here that clearly isn't just about pay discrepancies. There is something more personal. So again, like you said, like I think it's a boss move for Kim to be like, I'll come back, but I'll come back on my own terms especially if it seems like she's been done dirty in the past with Sex in the City, I think it's more so of, like, she still deserves a good storyline and just, and just like that. And I don't feel that happening. No, I don't think it's happening. I think, you know, we could get as gossipy as we want here. But, like, I, I do think that it probably does have to do with that feud of feeling like maybe Samantha's character doesn't deserve that because Kim's not mm. going to play ball with us type of a thing. Yeah. And and the pettiness behind that. Because I would like to know more about Samantha's life and I would love for her to be more involved in it. However, I do completely understand what she's saying about the financial stuff. It gives, as you were breaking it down, it reminded me, I don't know how familiar you are with the call her daddy fallout, but like that was something similar of like two best friends one thinking they deserve to reap the benefits that Barstool Sports was getting off of their show and the other kind of being more the company girl and and that contributed to their to their breakup. Um, but yeah, I mean, I miss Samantha. And I think, and again, like I said, I think Seema, they like try to use Seema as that Samantha role, but it, you're not gonna, you're not gonna replace Samantha, the one-liners, the, the quips, like, the funny sex scenes and and stuff like that. Like, I would love to see what her life would be like now. And I agree with you, too, of, of she really was Carrie's emotional support friend in that, in that role, too. And I think it's funny watching Sex and the City 
as a young girl and and thinking about it now, like everyone wanted to be a Carrie and like wanted, loved Carrie. And I think now like growing up and like having a better grasp on what the world is, like realizing <laughs> that Carrie just wasn't that great of a friend to begin with. <laughs> and, and it was, you do want to be the Samantha. You do want to, you do want to be the Miranda of your own life. Like you, or the previous Miranda of your sex own life. Sex in the city Miranda. <laughs> yeah, sex <laughs> in the city Miranda. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, Carrie just isn't, isn't that. And, and yeah, I, and I, I, I look forward to whatever this cameo of Kim Cattrall is going to be. I have a feeling it's going to be underwhelming or not as much as we want. But you know what? I'll be happy for her nonetheless because I'm sure she got a shit ton of money for it. So yeah, I was going to say, I, I'll get what I could take yeah. uh, with also being supportive of Kim Cattrall being a boss and having things, you know, done in a fair in her way. But what else are you hoping to see with season three? I know we're not done with season two yet, but seeing there may be a season three, what would you like to see besides less cringe and more Samantha? <sighs> Let's see. Um, well, we supposedly have Aiden coming season two. So maybe I'm like so a nervous. true. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I was going to say maybe a true love story for Carrie of <laughs> uh, a second chance at love um, would be interesting. I would like to see Miranda get back to her former self or a version of her former self into being an independent woman and and not allowing someone to railroad her in her relationship. Uh, Charlotte doesn't do a lot for me. I think she's funny. I I want to see less of her kids. Um, <laughs> and like, I don't care about the teenage angst. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. like you're rich kids that want to, whatever, don't care. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think, I think I'm curious more so about Carrie and Miranda and how they navigate life. I, and I, I genuinely want, if we're going to talk about these issues in life that are culturally relevant and stuff like that, I, I hope that it's done with a lot more intention intention but also like we could laugh at these things like Mm. and that's part of what makes comedy so fun and stand up is because they're taking these really sensitive and like hard to touch conversations and making you look at them in a way that is a little bit funny and we can lean into that here with sex and or and just like that instead of trying to be so pc about it and check every box about it like i think kind of just stop taking themselves a little bit too seriously in that regard. Cause I do feel like that might be where, where it's coming from, but yeah, I, you know, curious about the love stories and, and, and Miranda, Miranda, I want to see a complete overhaul. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing is, well, it is cringy. We keep watching because we are invested in these in these women, yeah. you know what I mean? Like even more women now, but the, the veteran, uh, like friendships, we're really invested in them. And I think that's to the point where we know that this isn't Miranda. I completely agree. I think that like you, I really do like Lisa, you know, the character. I feel like there's so much there to explore with Lisa and they do even more so in season two, which I appreciate. But, and I do like that Charlotte is uh, Charlotte, but I do think that if they're focusing more on her, she does get a little bit more like lighter and funnier if you kind of like yes. give her... The chance, which I do like and I want to see. And maybe it is cutting back the kid time and we focus on more of them. I loved, you know, 
her talking about Harry's fireworks. Like, we, yes. <laughs> like I felt like that was something that I never would have gotten from her in Sex yes. and the City. So to hear her kind of be lighter about something like that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I like this. But I compare that with Miranda, right? Where like, that yeah. makes sense for Charlotte to be in her character at this point in like this franchise versus like Miranda doing a whole 180 where like Charlotte being so like lighthearted and funny about that, about the fireworks, yeah. which is like, this makes <laughs> sense. Like I like her even more versus Miranda where I'm just like, this makes no sense. And you're no making me dislike her and I don't want to dislike her. And again, it's so Charlotte to say fireworks as opposed to saying what she really means. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I can't even, I, and I'm a Charlotte in that sense where I don't like talking nasty. So I'll, I'll, I'll say fireworks too for <laughs> now. I'll say fireworks? <laughs> yeah. I love, and, I, I, and again, that shows how much like we like to still see a core of them intact because we can relate to them. We can still connect with them. So it makes it even more special. But that, like, here's to hoping that it doesn't get more cringe. It kind of balances itself out because even if it is cringe, we're still going to keep watching, which is clearly yeah. what we, <laughs> what we got. <laughs> so it's like, why are we even complaining? Like, they're just like, we're going to do whatever we want. Yeah, and we like, know you'll shows, still watch anyways. I know, this shows that we're not going to change anything. Yeah, we're just going to make you more mad. But yeah. Um, but thank you, Chelsea, for joining me. Oh my god, this today. was so much fun. Loved loved this conversation. Love hate the show. I, <laughs> I know. like genuinely, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go home and like pour a glass of wine and watch and just like that and be angry for an hour. So <laughs> Yeah, I feel you. Um, but thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions about Sex in the City and just like that, any love or hate, uh, email us at whataboutyourfriendspod at gmail.com. We're gonna take next week off, but we'll be back the week after. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>